What up, Rail Split Nash? We have a very special guest with us today from the Abraham Lincoln Library down in Springfield. What's up, everybody? Um, hopefully, you guys are surviving um, the shelter in place. I know we're starting to dwindle away, so hopefully, you're getting out there, getting some fresh air. Uh, with me today is Rail Splitter Mary up in the Great North. What's happening? Hey, Rail Split Nash. Uh, yeah, same old, same old as it's been for like what the last ten weeks. Just not really going too far. A little bit of Groundhog Day. I that is exactly it. And with us in spirit today is Rail Splitter Jeremy. He is currently at the high school putting together the virtual graduation. So I'm sure he would rather be here talking to us, but he probably got an all-nighter in front of him. So sucks to be him. But replacing him is, a, I think, a fourth time being on the show, the great Dr. Christian McWhirter. What's <laughs> up, man? great seriously i don't know about that man. actually you are because you've been on so much you were just like rail splitter christian now <laughs> wow yeah i feel like i'm kind of guest hosting here is that the deal it yeah, is yeah you've reached level so. you've reached guest host level you're not just wow. a guest you are a guest host <laughs> well with your knowledge you should probably be the host yes um, oh i don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but so, thank you for having me on, guys. It's always a pleasure to be here, especially when I'm I'm cooped up inside like we all are. So, yeah. No, we appreciate uh, you taking time out of your evening here. Um, what's the start, man? How, how are you holding up? How's the family doing? We're doing okay. Uh, my wife and I both working from home, uh, and we, we got our little eight-year-old uh, son here with us, and, and we're all just kind of hanging out. But uh, the museum and library are... Uh, not open to the public and and not really open to most staff um but we are uh you know we are still up and running in the sense that the staff is still working and we we're all doing plenty of work from home um part of the deal at aoplm is we always have huge backlogs of work that we should be doing anyway uh that uh, you know the day-to-day life the museum uh you know sometimes gets in the way of so we we got plenty to do and we're we're still slugging away in the in the history trenches so to speak who's uh going into the museum and stuff uh, do the artifacts need to be like watched over or switched out or um how's all that maintenance and stuff being done yeah we um i think the uh the as far as i know uh the only staff who are currently in there are the security uh which is kind of what you alluded to and then the the maintenance staff are still in there and the engineers you know making sure the place is running okay mm-hmm. Um, you know, we always have, you know, a hundred plus different items on display at any given time. Um, the, uh, and we, we rotate them out annually, you know, on like a staggered schedule. So we've, we've, you know, we're not, we're a little over on some of those, but they've basically with nobody in the museum, they've just kept the lights off <laughs> and the, the conditions are pretty good. So there's, there's nothing really for us to worry about too much anyway, um, in terms of any harm coming to those items. So yeah, we're, we're not really messing with them. They're just kind of 
staying there. And then once we reopen, we'll do all the, the change outs that, that we were supposed to be doing anyway. What are the stuff that you're working on at home? Anything exciting? Yeah. Um, a few things. Most of what I've been working on is actually those changeouts because we, we knew what most of them were going to be anyway. So most of what I've been working on is is doing the research and the writing for the labels that go. You know, most of our museum is is a permanent exhibit um, and the labels don't change. The part of it that the changes, we have a temporary gallery, which I'll talk about what's going on in there in a second. And then we have these cases all the way through where we put artifacts. And so I've been I've been working on those. That's that's one of my core kind of jobs is to. I don't decide the what goes on display on my own. We have a committee that does that, but I kind of lead that process, and then I uh, and then I do all the label writing. So I've been doing mostly that. Um, but uh, but there is a lot going on. We've got um, we had a temporary exhibit that was supposed to open like a week after everything closed. Um, we have an exhibit called uh, "Spies, Traders, and Saboteurs" that is a traveling exhibit that some of you might have already heard of. It's it's been to a few places already. It's from the Spy Museum in dc uh so that is our current temporary exhibit so nobody's seen it yet it's it's opening day never happened but when we do reopen it'll open up uh and we added a little bit to it we added some civil war content because it doesn't have any civil war content so we got to kind of write and curate that so that was cool i got to tell a few civil war stories um and a couple other little things here and there. We got a new exhibit on the Stevenson family that's going to open up in the library. We, we got the, you know, Adlai Stevenson. Uh, we got uh, his family's papers. Uh, so we, we're opening a permanent exhibit in the library to them uh, where we'll draw from that collection. Uh, and then we're working on stuff in the future where we've got a, uh, an exhibit we're also developing for the library. It's going to show off some Lincoln documents, some reproductions of of lincoln documents as a as a way for people to come in people always come in wanting to see lincoln documents so um we think this will kind of give them what they need so i've been i've been doing some work on it as well and then um all kinds of stuff to try to make a museum um accessible to people who can't go in it so we're doing a lot of social outreach stuff um if you uh, subscribe to our newsletter, uh, I, I do a piece every week where I highlight a different artifact in the collection. I usually tweet those out, too, if you follow me on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, when I write them. Uh, and a lot of our staff are contributing with that kind of stuff. So, you know, just we're all kind of doing what we can here and there to keep people engaged and keep the place active and keep things moving along. Uh, speaking of kind of that social media engagement, um is that something that you've enjoyed? Have you seen an increase in interaction with it? Um, is this something that kind of, well, I guess I'm asking like a thousand questions. <laughs> um, have you yeah. seen an increase in interaction as far as social media engagement goes? Um, I don't know because I'm not the one, you know, I've got my personal Twitter account, but, but our, our, uh, we have like a media staff who kind of manages our social media um, but I've certainly been more engaged with it. I've been, I've been writing these pieces regularly. I've written a couple other things. Um, and then we've been doing these Facebook live, uh, where our, our director of programming, Joe Crane will have us on and he'll talk about us, uh, or and he'll interview us and we'll talk about Lincoln. We did another thing a couple weekends ago with the foundation, uh, with our foundation where we went on and we, we fielded questions about Lincoln, me and the state historian, Sam Wheeler been, been going on together a lot. Um, and that's been um, th- those have gotten some good viewership, but but on my end, it's been I found it really nice to to do that kind of stuff. I um, I it's not something we I was at least I was doing a lot of 
Um, not necessarily because I didn't want to, but just because I had a million other things going on. One of the things that, that this has kind of forced us to do is to think about um, more ways that we could be doing stuff that isn't just happening in the building, you know? So I've, I've really enjoyed writing these little pieces. I don't know if you. I think the first time I came on your show, that was back when I still had a blog. I mean, it kind of tick scratched that itch that I hadn't been scratching a long time. And and so I think what what's going to happen is I think a lot of this stuff that we're doing because of COVID, we're we're going to keep doing it. You know, when all this ends, you know, we'll keep kind of doing some of this outreach stuff because I think it's I think it's been good and and for me anyway, it's mostly been pretty fun. I've I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I think uh, just speaking from the educator standpoint, it's kind of forced me to get my online stuff going a little bit better. And once you add what we're doing now or what you guys are doing now on top of actually having the museum open, I mean, you just think about the the number of people that will be reached and continuing to increase to be reached Mm -hmm. uh, will be awesome. Yeah, and it doesn't – you know, it's not like we're given, you know, the museum experience away or anything. You know, people will still want to come to the museum, but – you know, isn't it cool? Like, you know, the one I uh, that that they did a couple of weeks ago was on the, you know, we have a piece of of uh, Laura Keene's dress that has Lincoln's blood on it, right? She was the actress the night he was assassinated, and like that's one of my favorite pieces in the collection. So I, you know, I wrote a little article about it, and then I did a little tweet, uh, you know, what do they call that? A tweet thread or whatever, which I don't normally do, but I did one about it, and um, you know, it's just cool to tell people, like, yeah, we've got this stuff. You know, I think. Um, you know, it's 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 um, it's good for the museum, but it's also part of our mission to to let people know what we have to tell them some of the stories of the things that we have. Um, you know, the we're we're perfectly positioned to do that, and and it, especially for teachers and stuff. Like, I hope maybe some of that helps out teachers, and that gives them some stories or gives them ideas for things they can talk about with Lincoln or things. You know, if they're planning on visiting us, you know. So I I like doing that kind of stuff, and I think it's good. And and this is force us to think about that so yeah it's 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 been a it's in that sense it's been a good thing so well that stuff's great as a teacher because you could just throw it on google classroom like a like a supplement material thing for kids yeah. who are really into history and they could deep dive and get into it um, well in our our education we have a, an education director who hasn't been with us uh for very long um heather who uh has really been working to do a lot of stuff um has been working with the state right we're we're a state-run museum so Mm -hmm. she's been working with the state um but also on her own to do a lot of digital programming and so she does um these uh they call them little little lincoln's fireside uh stories i think is what they call it where they they read stories to kids she's going to start doing some other programs we have a program next thursday at one um, for for students called Stump the Historian, where, uh, again, me and the state historian Sam Wheeler are going to go on and kids are going to get to come on and ask us, you know, try to stump us with Lincoln questions. And they'll probably succeed most of the time uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, try to catch us on, you know, what we do or don't know. But I mean, all that is is just a way then for us to talk more about Lincoln and give them more context and try to educate them. And we have another program coming up where, um, we're going to have them all get on Zoom with like family heirlooms and stuff from their homes. It's going to be like a kid's version of Antique Roadshow. And then we're going to talk about whatever it is they show us. And like, this is all like really like cool stuff, yeah. right? Like, and, and, uh, you know, Heather, I give Heather credit for coming up with them, but, uh, you know, it's like, oh yeah, we, we could have been doing this stuff all along. This is really cool. Right. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this stuff. Yeah. How do people or, or our listeners find access to this? Is this all through the Facebook page? Is this on the website? 
How yeah, would people go, find? go to our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, um, go to our website. I think um, the, uh, the the stuff she's doing is still, um, I, I think the Zoom stuff you still have to register for. I mean, it's free, but you still have to register. Um, and then, like I said, we have this newsletter. If you go to our website and you give an email address, you can subscribe to our newsletter. Um, they announce that if you're a member, if you support the foundation too, you'll, you'll get these things as part of your, um, being on the, on the email list for the, for the foundation. So there's, there's all kinds of different ways you can engage with us and, and find out what we're doing. Now the talks you're doing with, uh, Sam, are, is that on a weekly schedule or is that just kind of randomly happening? No, um, Joe does one of those every Thursday night. So I, he's, he's doing one right now. They happen at seven every Thursday night. So he, uh, and he has different, uh, people from the museum on every week. So if you follow us on Facebook, you'll see that, um, uh, you'll see every week, uh, who's on. Um, so I think, uh, I think tonight he's got, uh, although I guess this will come out after that. Right. But, uh, tonight he's got Heather on the education director I told you about. Um, but yeah, just, just pay attention and you'll see when, when, uh, I mean, you should watch them all, but yeah, well, yeah. We, then we're on every once in a while too. So and it's fun. Mary, do you have some questions? Um, I was just going to comment, comment on um, something from earlier, just, just how museums have had to evolve in this. I think, you know, mm-hmm. and as you said, Christian, like you're utilizing something now that was always there, but you're realizing just how, you know, it's like, oh, this works for us. And I think this is going to, I don't know. Do you think it's going to change the way museums in the future continue to operate? on a whole like with the outreach that's able to be done with the use of social media i i mean i think so it's it's certainly kicking around a lot of different ideas um i think the stuff that we're doing um is is good stuff um in terms of you know we're getting engagement or whatever but like there's all these other ideas out there I, i was at a conference a virtual conference last week and they were talking about some of these like different apps that you can use mm-hmm. to get people to like, in, you know, engage with your exhibits remotely and things like that, you know, ways to do um, uh, what they call it enhanced. What, what's, you know, like Pokemon go, what's that called enhanced reality or whatever yeah. to do that kind of stuff um, that, you know, you don't necessarily need to be on site to do, um, you know, we're just now starting to think about those kinds of ideas, but you know, and some of it isn't really that expensive to do either. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of just having the right software and having the right people to work with it. Um, I do think you're probably going to see more of that kind of stuff. You know, we even talked about how, um, at this conference, we talked about how, like, when people start coming back to the museum, um, presuming that happens and like social distancing is still in place, people will be more comfortable outside than they will be inside. So, like, should we be, maybe thinking about ways to engage our, our visitors um, with outdoor activities, which isn't really something we do, but you know, like could we give them some kind of virtual tour of downtown Springfield that mm-hmm. maybe we develop with, you know, the visitors bureau or with the Lincoln home or all of us work together or something like that. You know, these are all ideas people are kicking around now that, yeah, I think you're right. These, these were things that we were all maybe thinking about a little bit, but this has definitely brought them all forward. And I think those discussions are going to keep happening uh, regardless of the status of, you know, whether we're still in a pandemic or not. Mm-hmm. So I, has that been, been kind of some of the stuff you've been hearing too, or? 
Yeah, just, uh, you know, just seeing like the museum in my hometown is doing more stuff. Um, now they were, they always had a great social media presence, but they're coming up with more creative ways to do yeah. stuff and just other museums as well, like Ford's Theater doing, um, they did a mm -hmm. like a lecture yesterday with James Swanson, the author of Manhunt. Yeah. And it was geared more towards teenagers. Um, but still, it's great to see that kind of outreach and the education going on. And um, as someone who used to work in the museum field, you know, I know a lot of a museum's collections never sees the light of day. You know, it's right. just not possible. So I think this is probably making some museums think like, oh, we could showcase these artifacts we can't put on display very much and people can start seeing them more if they hadn't already taken that step. Yeah. And like my emphasis, one of the things I try to do when I'm um, selecting artifacts and, and writing about them, you know, I, I have this emphasis on story, right? My philosophy is that like each case less than more than just showing you what's in the case. I try to have like a story for each case, mm -hmm. right? Pick an item that I can build a story around. And uh, one of the things that's been nice about these, these little pieces I'm doing and the kind of ways we're trying to show off the collection is it allows me to highlight items that aren't like, you know, the sexiest items, right? Mm -hmm. So like I mentioned the Laura Keen dress, that's obviously a home run. That's a top yeah. 10 yeah. artifact in our collection, but I've, but I've really been trying to write more about, some of the things that maybe people don't know that we have, I still have to pretty much work within Lincoln, right? Most of our collection, you know, the, the secret about us is like 98% of our collection is Illinois history. Right. But um, I've mostly still just been working with Lincoln stuff, but because I can build a story around it, I can write a little 500 word piece. Um, you know, I can show you something um, like I just wrote a piece on Lincoln's dog, you know, cause we mm -hmm. have these CDBs of Fido that you could buy. And so, you know, I, it, that, that enabled me to tell Fido's story, mm -hmm. which is, because they're the Lincolns, it's even a tragic story. Fido gets yes. assassinated basically a year after Lincoln does, right? Um, so, you know, but that's a that, that's a great story. And it's a great story about how Fido kind of becomes a minor celebrity and all that. And I could build that story around that one picture, which, you know, if you just walked by it in a case in the library or in the museum, you'd just be like, oh, there's Lincoln's dog. But, you know, it, 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 it being able to tell those stories really makes the collection come alive mm -hmm. and, and allows you to highlight things that wouldn't immediately be people wouldn't register as being like, oh, that's a really cool thing, right? So we, it, that's been that's been fun. How has the museum um, start to plan for the future here? Have you guys set out a timeline? Are you kind of waiting for the state to provide some guidance? Um, kind of what, what's the future looking like as far as the in-house museum goes? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's tough for me to say, um, you know, first of all, you know, we're – we're like I said, we're a state agency, so the the people making those decisions uh, are you know outside of my you know we're in the research division, so you know the the nerdy historians uh, you know we just do our thing. Um, the uh, I mean it'll ultimately be up to the governor, um, but I do know you know I work with the exhibits people and that kind of stuff, and you know they're they're thinking about depending on how we open and when we open, you know what the restrictions are, you know putting. Um, you know, different rules in place, uh, you know, well, you know, I mean, if we were to open soon, uh, you would have, you know, you'd be wearing a mask, um, you know, we'd be emphasize, or, you know, uh, enforcing social distancing, um, you know, some of the more interactive, uh, things in the museum would have to be handled differently. Um, but, uh, and then the library is a whole other thing. I mean, cause you, you know, people would be handling material and things like that. So, um, the, the, there are people at the museum and library who are current, who are dealing with those, uh, issues. I'm not really 
part of those discussions, but I think a lot of it just depends on what, you know, what the opening uh, looks like. I mean, we all, we all want to be open. We want people to come in and see the exhibits. Um, but we, you know, understand obviously that this is a, an exceptional situation. And if we do reopen, we want it to be as safe an environment as possible. So, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll just see how that shakes out when the time comes. When we can finally get back in and see the stuff that you just put on display, what are you, uh, what are some of the other things you're excited for us to see that you have in store for us? Ooh, that's gonna. You get, then I have to think about what I'm what I'm putting on display. Well, we were gonna put. Uh, I don't know if we'll we'll get to it. We were gonna try to put. You know, every year we put the Gaysburg Address out mm-hmm. for two weeks. Um, we were gonna try to do that with the Emancipation Proclamation this year. We have. Um, we don't have the Emancipation Proclamation. The Emancipation Proclamation was lost, but um, but we we have one of the copies that were made, the the printed copies that Lincoln and Seward signed. Um, I'm, what, what's the number? It's forty eight, maybe is it that they signed that are spread? And only about half of those are known. Um, we have one of those, and so we were going to try to put that out. And so I, I hope we still get to do that because I think that would have been. Uh, you know, that, that's a cool thing. And it's something, but surprisingly, we don't show the Emancipation Proclamation that often. We, we, the Gaysburg Address is, is really the one we make a big deal out of. And, and, you know, people don't even know that we have that copy of the Emancipation Proclamation. We have a copy of the 13th Amendment, too, signed by Lincoln, but it's in terrible shape. So we hardly ever put it on display because it's, it's pretty haggard. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, the, the thing I'll tell you, the thing I just worked on, the, the, what we call the political life cases, which are the cases uh, right before you get into the, the Tim Russert election uh, thing. Um, I'm really, I really think it's cool what we ended up doing with that. We, we plotted it out to kind of cover Lincoln's political career um, by each election that, um, or each office that he ascended to. So we have, we have the, one of the, his first, um, that it's not really a speech, but that that statement that he wrote when he first ran for office, when he he uh, for a state office, where he breaks down what all his policy positions would be. Um, we have one of the original newspapers that was printed in. We we only have that from the newspaper, so I was going to start with that and then go through his election to Congress, um, and then uh, we have which we have a we have a record. Um, we have a poll book from Illinois from that election. Like it isn't, you know, so where they're voting in Illinois for whether they're going to vote for Lincoln or not. Um, then we were going to go to the, um, the Senate campaign. So we have, uh, uh, we have a letter he wrote about the, the Lincoln Douglas debates. Uh, then we have some paraphernalia from the presidency from those two elections. And then on either side, there's two big cases on either side of that case or two, there's small, there's one huge case in the middle and there's two kind of cases to the side. And in both those, I tried to do some parallelism where we have Lincoln, you know, one of Lincoln's first jobs when he was in New Salem was as a, he would keep the poll books. Right. And so we've got Lincoln in um, Lincoln is recording uh, a presidential election uh, for the electoral college in New Salem. So that, that would be the first thing you would see. And then we also have after the election of 1864, Lincoln got all the governors uh, again because it didn't work the way it did now, where you could get the numbers easily. He got all the the governors to send him the numbers of his own election in 1864, and we've got this sheet where Lincoln is recording them all, and he's doing a bunch of math. And he was doing that, I think, partly because he wanted to know. He's comparing his 1864 numbers to his 1860 numbers, and um, he's doing that um, in part because he's curious, but also because he's thinking about the 13th amendment. He's thinking about whether he got enough of a mandate 
that maybe he can push the 13th Amendment through. And he brings it up in his, his last annual message to Congress in 65, that the, these statistics. And we have the sheet where he's working it out. So how cool is that, that we've got Lincoln on both sides of his career, you know, working the numbers. Uh, so um, so that um, I really hope uh, that, well, it will. I mean, I shouldn't say I hope. That'll get to see the light of day and, and folks will get to see it. That changeout is supposed to happen right about now. So it'll be light, but it'll it'll still get out there. And, and I thought that was a kind of cool concept. I'm glad we were able to to make it work. No, that's pretty awesome. Uh, you, speaking of these timelines, how far out are the timelines of switching stuff out plan? And has this stuff kind of really impacted that? Um, yeah. So we, like I said, we change everything out every year. Um, we, we plan each change out six months ahead of time. Um, so at six months is when we meet and decide what we're going to put in each case. And then I've basically got the next three months, um, to to do my labels which sounds like a lot of time except because these things are staggered i'm always doing multiple of these at once along with everything else that's going on right and so yeah usually at about three months out then we've got the labels ready the we have an awesome uh exhibits team uh that uh you know our conservation lab gets the items ready uh for display this is all the stuff that definitely isn't happening because we're closed i got the easy part right i can (laughs) i can still write the labels from home because i can still do the research from home right but you know our conservation lab can't work on the items from home our exhibits team um you know they build the mounts and you know all that cool stuff and they can't do any of that work you know our registrar is doing uh, doing work on the items too, you know, all this stuff is going on and, uh, you know, that all kind of has to wait. So I've, I've, you know, one of the things I've been trying to do by getting all these labels written while I've been home is, you know, if I can at least do my part, cause I can do my part from home, then that makes their part, you know, they don't have to worry about that. They can just get back when we do get back in the building and get right to work, getting all these items ready, um, to put on display. So, I mean, they'll all be delayed, but hopefully it won't be, you know, it won't be a crazy amount of time that they'll be delayed and, and nothing's being left on display, you know, so long that it's, you know, it's going to harm anything. So, um, yeah, I think, I think we're in good shape, but, uh, that, that we just want to make sure we stay on schedule too. That's, you know, now once you get to a point where I can't do those selection meetings, then I can't prep any, I can't write any more labels or whatever. And so the longer we get into that zone, then there's just no work being done at all. And so hopefully, you know, that won't last for too long, but um, you know, we're plugging away and uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I think we'll be all right. Um, what can people do? You know, the museum's closed. So, you know, um, financially I, I imagine, well, obviously it's losing out. What could people do who are in a position to help as far as supporting the museum, the library um, down there? Um, Support our foundation, our foundation. uh, You know, we're very fortunate uh, to have a foundation that supports us. We have a a wonderful, uh, enthusiastic and engaged group of members um, who, who, you know, support the foundation. Um, So, uh, our foundation is alplm.org. Um, you know, go check us out. And that's definitely the best way, um, that you can support us. Um, and you know, you get membership perks and everything else like you would, uh, you know, any other, uh, membership, but you know, that's, that's really the, the, the best way to support us. But, um, you know, if, if you can't afford to do that or, or you know, or cause I know it, it, things are tough all around right now. Um, you know, just, just stay engaged with us, you know, it's uh, the stuff that we're putting out there, you know, um, you know, p- please, uh, 
you know, not only uh, whatever we, you know, consume whatever uh, content we're putting out, but, you know, um, know, also know that we're still open. And, and in particular, the library, the library is, you know, where you can't go in the library and we can't go in the library, but we're also doing our jobs. And so I still get, you know, research requests. Our librarians are still um, doing those things. If you need the help of the library or if you're planning a visit when we reopen those kind of things, like, please, um, don't be afraid to email our research staff. Don't be afraid to email me. I still, one of my favorite things to do is kids email me all the time with their school projects and ask me questions about Lincoln or ask me for resources. And, you know, I'm, I'm still happy to field those, those questions and I'm still trying to respond as best I can. So, you know, just, um, you know, know that we're here and, and we're still working and, and we're still, you know, we're, the point of a museum and especially the library, I mean, the library is free. We're, we're there as we're there to help you. So, you know, and we, and we still are as, as best we can. Awesome. Mary, did you have any other museum library questions before we shift? I don't, that was excellent. Christian. Thank you. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, some of the stuff we've been talking about Lincoln, uh, or the civil war has popped up, you know, um, with some comparison, some comparing and contrasting, um, and you contributed an article to the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, why don't we go ahead and have you summarize that before we kind of dive deeper into that. So kind of what was your article dealing with and kind of what um, inspired you to write that? Yeah, uh, that was actually part of our outreach effort. So a lot of the um, the members of the research division um, uh, have been wrote op-eds that then we um, – we placed in, in different, um, newspapers. The, uh, I've mentioned Sam a few times. Sam wrote a piece, um, on inspiration we can take from Lincoln, uh, during the, uh, the pandemic that ended up, uh, I want to say his ended up in the Tribune, the Chicago Tribune. Um, Mark DePew, our oral historian, uh, has written a, a few pieces. He's also a real big, real contributor to our social media as well, our newsletter, our Facebook page. Um, writing about the different stories that um, have come out of his oral history project, which is awesome. I encourage everyone to go to our library's website and check out the oral history project. What Mark does is amazing. Um, and so he's been contributing a lot too. And so, so they asked me for a contribution. And um, so I ended up writing about um, just trying to compare um, cause we're all, or at least um, a lot of us are, are um, isolated in our households right now. Um, obviously I have a, an enormous amount of respect. Uh, I don't want to leave out. Obviously I don't want to leave out the, the folks who aren't fortunate enough to be able to work from home who, um, either, either are, um, are unemployed right now or are working the front lines are, you know, our healthcare providers and our other essential workers. Um, but I'm not, you know, I, I'm working from home. So I started to think about what the, uh, some trying to make some links with, uh, the civil war generation, uh, the people left behind on the home front during the war um, and how they coped with, uh, you know, going through that ordeal and some of the ways that it was it was similar and, and some of the ways that it was different from um, what we're going through now. Well, are well, some of the, the similarities that exist between, between um, you know, the Civil War the family war and the family going through the current pandemic? Yeah, I mean, some of the similarities I found were just that, um, you know, that the, the household, 
Um, and of course, in the Civil War, I'm mostly talking about women because uh, any of the, the fighting age men would have, you know, well, not all of them, but a lot of the fighting age men were off at the front. Um, but uh, the, the household, um, you know, was really self-contained and uh, that we um, aren't used to feeling that way. We're usually used to being kind of out in the world. And even when we're home, we're usually thinking about being out in the world. But for the Civil War generation, the household was much more the kind of center of their society. Um, and that we've kind of been forced to return to that a little bit now and, and, and think of ourselves as a household and, and consider who's in our household, who's, who are we allowed to, or, or who are we interacting with on a daily basis? Cause you know, you're, you, you, you can't interact with anybody else, at least not unless you're six feet apart. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's forced us to kind of do some of the same things they did. Their, their homes were much more. Uh, self-reliant than ours were they were producing a lot of their own food and 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 um obviously they didn't have modern appliances that allowed them to cook or maintain the household as easily so that kept them busy but but also some of the same thing like i'm doing a lot more uh creative uh play with my children or with my son because you know he's home now and he's not at school and you know that's uh uh you know so we're having to be uh, much more creative and, and finding ways to keep him amused. And he's discovering things within the home that maybe he, he wasn't so interested in before that now he is, he's reading a lot more. He's, uh, he's, he's taken to his bike a lot more, you know, things like that. And, and so, um, in that way, we're very, we're, we're similar. But, um, the other thing though, to, to really center on the crisis, you know, that we, when you're, when you study history, it, you always have to remind yourself that they don't know how the story's going to end. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you forget um, until you're in uh, a, a, a situation like this, um, what that feeling of, of kind of broad uncertainty feels like, where you don't really know, you know, we, especially, you know, I wrote this right when this first started, we know more now than we did then, but we still don't really know um, what we're dealing with here. The, the details of the disease are still being discovered. We don't have a vaccine. Um, we still don't know what the numbers, you know, the kind of grim numbers are going to look like, right? We don't know how far this is going to go. Um, that allows you to at least a little bit put yourself in the mindset of the Civil War generation who were dealing with this crisis um, that kind of like ours is unprecedented. They'd never dealt with anything like this and just day to day, just coping with the psychological toll um, of that crisis. And, and, you know, by distracting themselves and by trying to do something, the other thing uh, I should have anyway talked about the household is they found ways for their households to help the, you know, they would, uh, you know, women would, would, Again, we can't do this, but the women in the community would all get together and sew, you know, socks for the soldiers and things like that. And and it's it's a little bit analogous to us making masks and you know trying to pull together resources and donating them to museums and things like that. You know, it's it's interesting to see the way uh, people come together and the way households are able to to mobilize themselves. Um, you know, even 150 years apart or so. Um, you know, some of the similar impulses that we have. I love the part in the article where you talked about, like, for a lot of the families, they didn't have the information of what was happening. Yeah. Obviously, and we're kind of in the same boat, which is weird because, obviously, the reason they didn't have information is because of how slow it moved. Yeah. Um, and, but now we have finger information at our fingertips, but yet it's 
like a lack of information still. Yeah. Part of it is because it's unknown, but part of it is because there's so much false information that we're forced to weed through. I mean, like the data and inconsistency of data um, and the way that's being reported. You know, it's just kind of interesting um, dynamic there that a lot of the stuff we just don't have the information, but it's for like a different reason a little bit than what it was back in the Civil War. And I just found that kind of fascinating part of the article, too. Yeah, that was really, you know, I, I it, it's a way we're the same, but like extremely different, right? Yeah. That they, um, you know, you read about this just constant, we, we, where we're the same is we have this constant anxiety caused by information. But in their age, it was a lack of information. They, they just following the events of the war was really difficult for them to do because you would get these newspaper reports, but the information was slow in arriving. And that like most critical piece of information, which is, you know, did my dad or brother or sweetheart, you know, die on the battlefield? That information came very slowly and sometimes, you know, not at all. We, again, we forget that they didn't have the kind of forensic uh, tools we do now too. And so, you know, for some families, they only found out that a family member or someone they knew had passed away when in 1865, they never came home. Right. So, you know, you realize they must've been in an unmarked grave somewhere. Um, yeah. We have the opposite problem now where we're, we have this just constant barrage of information. Um, and yeah, you have to sort through it and you have to be kind of savvy about how you read it and you have to kind of make your own choices. Um, but ultimately, like I, I said earlier though, that, that baseline anxiety, that they had we share, which is we just don't know what's going to happen next. You know, we're all um, trying to get on with our lives. We're all trying to distract ourselves as much as we can. We're trying to help as much as we can. But, um, you know, we're we're facing something that we don't entirely understand. You know, they they were dealing with a political crisis. So it was a, a very different kind of crisis. But at the end of the day, we're all just trying to find out what's going on. And, and I think we we share that with them, even if the means through which we're doing are completely different. Mary. Um, I was just going to say, um, I'm reading a book right now about Sherman's March to the sea. Surprise, surprise. Um, and anyway, it talked about how when the men got to Savannah, they hadn't had any mail since they'd left Atlanta. And that was yeah. their biggest excitement, biggest excitement. That, that on that day, like, Oh, we have mail. And apparently like, that's all they focused on was these letters. And so I really liked in the article where you talk about the letter part of it, where mm -hmm. people were writing letters and just, just that information. And, um, I sometimes wonder if we're going to get like, I know for me, like I've gotten a letter from one of my female friends who lives in, um, lives in the United States. And it was really nice yeah. to receive that. And I wonder if we're kind of, gonna start taking things like that a little bit more you know go back to that kind of thing maybe that kind of communication but yeah it's kind of the human connection that you mentioned as well that we need that so much and we're trying so many different ways to get that now yeah i think it's why you know we talked about with museums and doing zoom and you know if only we'd all known to buy stock in zoom before this started right <laughs> so like all these ways that we're using our technology to communicate with each other that we, again, we're, we were all doing, I mean, you know, we all were using FaceTime and Skype and all that stuff before this, but like now we're doing it constantly. And so that, that need to connect and that increase in that kind of connection, I think is a little bit analogous to, um, to the, the explosion in letter writing, um, that occurred, um, 
And then, you know, you talk about Sherman's March, too. Like, that's a great example of what I was just talking about, too, where we're still arguing about public perceptions of, of Sherman's March, right? Yes. At the time, Sherman's March was being depicted in radically different ways um, by different people. And, you know, um, you know, one of my my things, right, is Civil War music. And, you know, Marching Through Georgia describes it as this glorious kind of emancipationist thing. And meanwhile, Southerners are describing it as, you know, this scorched earth, you know, uh, horrifying act. And, you know, we're, we're still arguing about that and, and, you know, the way this information gets conveyed and, you know, so they, they didn't have as easy a time either. I mean, it took them longer to get their information, but their information was also very much shaped by who was telling the story and what their, uh, what their objective was and the way they were telling it. You know, Part of your job's dealing with like artifacts, uh, dealing, you know, with the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln. You know, we're kind of living in a historical event right now, you know, and a lot of the artifacts that we're creating that future historians are going to look at are, is digital. Um, what do you think are the positives and negatives of that? It's so hard to know. You know, I think about that all the time, like just, you know, because there's no letters. Well, there's some, like Mary said, but like, you know, we're mostly communicating through these calls that vanish as soon as they're over. Um, you know, I don't think anyone's recording these, you know. You know, we, we're, we're um, you know, tweets are public, so you'll be able to go back and presumably look at the Twitter archive, whatever that ends up looking like, um, and try to gauge what happened from that. But it's 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 really tough. I, I will say... Um, I do know there are some efforts happening. We're, we're doing a little bit. The Illinois State Museum here is that there's museums are all over the world and archives all over the world are asking people to send them stuff that reflects their experience. Um, you know, I, I suspect we're going to see a lot of exhibits in 10 or 20 years with people's masks in them and, you know, things like that. These will be relics of, you know, the, the great, you know, pandemic. But, um, it's it's one of those things that has, as a historian, I always say I'm I'm you know I didn't pick it for this reason, but I'm fortunate that I picked the 19th century because it's it's uh, you can complain about how some of the the resources aren't very accessible, but people were uh, there were a lot of newspapers being published. There was uh, you know we were far enough along that we had newspapers being published, we had uh, periodicals being published. People and then people are writing all these letters, and their families are saving them. You know, it, it's it it makes it an easier period to study than um, certainly in the before that time. But I think it's going to prove to be easier than now because we're we're going to have access to some information. But you know, if if you um, not that anyone would ever want to, but if anyone was going to research me in the future, you know, the probably the only thing they'd have is like whatever I've done on social media, and you know that doesn't really that represents like kind of the face I'm. <laughs> putting forward <laughs> you know and it's not you know you're not gonna get exactly who i am out of that as much as say if you got my private letters to my wife which i never wrote private letters to my wife right <laughs> but you know everybody did back then so um it's a very different i i don't know i don't know what's gonna look like but it's gonna be very different you just scared me because uh some of the stuff i posted on my instagram yeah. uh, mary has seen this summer is quite embarrassing uh, that was done to entertain the kids, but uh, sure. And some of it's made it onto the Real Swear podcast too. 
Thanks to my husband <laughs> taking the sound file off of yeah. Instagram. <laughs> and, uh, you, you can't burn. You can't burn a digital thing. <laughs> and, and speaking of those exhibits, the uh, the Huron County Museum, which is based here in Goderich, they are doing that too. They've asked for um, like just artifacts or stuff from the pandemic and people's memories of it. Mm-hmm. They're already starting to do that. So it's it's. I think it's really cool that a lot of museums around the globe are doing that. It's going to make for... Um, just people that didn't live through history like we did, they're going to be able to experience it. Some like not the way we did, but see. It. And it was funny to me, you know, maybe this is more about me as a person, but like as a historian, it didn't occur to me to do that until I started seeing people do it, you know, yeah. like that. Oh yeah, this is a major event. I should be documenting this somehow, or I should be contributing to like our, you know, collective memory about this somehow. You know, I shouldn't be, maybe I should stop thinking about the civil war for a little while and think about <laughs> what I'm going through as history, you know? So, yeah, it's been interesting to think about anyway. Oh, I had my uh, – because I teach that class where we make uh, documentaries out of oral histories. Um, and then I had them – they did about eight to ten different journals where video journals where they sent it in. And it was it was quite shocking how – like I encouraged them to be very brutally honest. And yeah. the, the feedback you got was very insightful as far as just a teacher knowing how, what they're going through at home. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just the collection of that stuff down the road will be – very interesting. Made me think, like, if we had Lincoln, who was able to keep a video journal, what that could have been oh. like. Oh, oh. That could have been. I, yeah, as we're all drooling now. Okay. So, right. well, and you have know you whose letter? Uh, Sorry, Mary. Oh, go ahead. Say, well, you know whose letters we do have that he wrote to his wife or McClellan's. <laughs> so, I give a talk on McClellan. I do a a, a thing on McClellan sometimes, <laughs> and that's my whole line on McClellan. My line on McClellan is. You know, that we have to cut McClellan at least a little slack because McClellan's wife saved his letters. And because she saved his letters, we have McClellan's unfiltered opinion of Abraham Lincoln. And we don't get that for a lot of other people. And so, you know, uh, thank goodness she saved those as historians. But also, like, yeah, she didn't do... uh, mcclellan any favors by doing that either so no i've read that like i have a whole book of his letters his selected war correspondence and the one that my husband likes is where he refers to um lincoln as a well-meaning baboon yes (laughs) yeah and just like my husband's like why does how do we have these i said his wife saved them right and we've got one of those great letters in our collection. It's on display right now uh, in the Treasures Gallery because I love it so much. And it's it's when McClellan won't move after Antietam. And uh, it's like a month after Antietam. And, and McClellan, you know, Lincoln has sent yet another one saying, like, why haven't you started chasing Lee yet? And McClellan says, well, my horses are sore-tongued and fatigued. And Lincoln replies, you know, can you tell me, you know, you say that your horses are sore-tongued and fatigued. Can you tell me anything they've done that would have rendered them, you know, made them <laughs> fatigued at all? And Lincoln's actually wrong. McCullen actually has a good reply. He goes, well, I just launched this huge reconnaissance campaign to try to figure out where Lee was. That's why they're tired. And Lincoln, it's one, Lincoln actually apologizes. He's like, okay, you got me. But then, like, two weeks later, he fires him anyway because, once again, he asks him and McClellan still won't move, but yeah, that those you, you don't get Lincoln losing his temper very uh, often. Yeah. But in that letter, Lincoln has clearly just had all he can take from this guy. Like, are you kidding me? Your your horses are too tired. Like, exactly. come on. <laughs> We've all been in Lincoln's shoes in, oh, in that situation, yes. right? Yeah. <laughs> 
Definitely. What do you think is the biggest thing we could take from Lincoln and kind of Lincoln's life to help through this crisis right now? Oh, wow. Um, Gee, that's a tough question. Um, You know, um, I always kind of hit the same things with Lincoln, which is Lincoln was um, Lincoln was very practical um lincoln had but he was like lincoln was an idealistic guy who was also practical so lincoln was really good at um you know having goals knowing what he wanted for himself and and in his case for his country especially as he's president um but also understanding the reality of the situation and and what you know he could or couldn't accomplish and i think we're all doing that um, kind of math right now um, about, you know, what are we facing? What are we dealing with? What what it, what can we control and what can't we control? You know, we're, we're all doing that in our private lives. And I think Lincoln did that to a certain extent um, for for, you know, when facing, you know, the, the greatest crisis, at least the United States has ever faced. And then, um, you know, the other thing about Lincoln was, uh, and I, I always hit this when I talk about Lincoln, that Lincoln never, um, Lincoln never stopped learning. Lincoln was self-taught. Lincoln was self-educated. And Lincoln, Lincoln always knew what he didn't know, <laughs> uh, and was willing to overcome that. Um, and so, you know, one of the things I think about this situation is, you know, you, you have to, um, it, you really need to be well informed in a situation like this about what's going on, uh, what the reality of, of it is, and 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 what the best way is for you in whatever state, you know, uh, wherever you are, uh, and whatever uh, your station is in in society to to know the best way to deal with it. And and I think Lincoln is an is a is an inspiration that way too because he was definitely. Um, uh, he had a lot of respect for science. Uh, he had a lot of respect for education and he was always willing to, to absorb that, um, when he needed to and, and, you know, when it would be useful to him. So no, I don't know if that question. That's the best I could do. I'm that's sure. A great answer. <laughs> that's awesome. Mary, did you have any qu- other questions for Christian? I don't know. That was excellent. Yeah. We're getting close to that hour, Mark, and we want to be respectable of your time. Um, I know I didn't ask you to prepare for uh, this week in Lincoln, but I think I can maybe shift the question to where you won't have to rack your brain for it. Uh, during this time that you've been kind of working from home, what maybe is the oddest or maybe most unique way Lincoln has popped up? Maybe it's through an email from somebody. Um, maybe you just found yourself thinking about it. Um Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, it's hard because I deal with Lincoln every day. You know, people always ask me that too. And like one of the weird things, this isn't going to answer your question, but one of the weird things about my job is now that I'm dealing with Lincoln, like every day, um, I don't have those moments very often where you suddenly think about something Lincoln did or whatever, like Lincoln's become my job, you know, and I'm not saying that in a negative way. Um, but I'm just always thinking about Lincoln in one way or another. And it's, and it's weird too, when you work in a museum, Mary, you can probably comment on this too. Like when you work in a museum and you're, you're kind of immersed in your museum's narrative and in the collection, you, you, 
tend not to think about you think of those things in very nuts and bolts kind of ways like i have kind of these mm -hmm. i have like a set lincoln narrative that i tell i have a set kind of way i approach a lincoln item and and you know it's it's mm -hmm. one of the reasons why i like doing change outs i keep coming back to change because that maybe makes me think about like well how would the public think about this item or that item because i think about it a lot of ways and just like okay so where did we get this from okay what was the last time it was on display oh yeah what was the story about it again and i don't you, you lose a bit of the inspiration that way. Um, and I'm always trying to resist that. And it's, it's one of the reasons I like writing these pieces too. It gives me a way to just kind of get back in touch with that. So I, I didn't answer your question at all. I, I guess I just said why I, I, I don't know that I can answer your question. I, I can but. completely back up what you're saying yeah. though, because I, um, for a whole summer, I did um, these walking tours down at the waterfront in Godrich mm -hmm. and it just became so monotonous same thing yeah. over and over again and then because i'd done that i worked on an online virtual exhibit about the great storm of 1913 and just like that narrative was stuck in in my head for so long and then when i had to go work on something else it was like oh there's yeah. other things are <laughs> like right there, there's other things around and all that and it just like it made me definitely think outside like okay well what would the visitor want out of this and what more could i do with it yeah i think yeah and i i, I certainly agree with that um it's one of the reasons why i like to i don't actually get to give or i'm a little different from mm -hmm. what you says i don't actually get to give tours of the museum that often um but when i do i really like it because that that really jolts me because you get to see people mm -hmm. react to it and you get to see them get engaged and, and Q and a, I love to do Q and a, any program I do, any tour I give Q and a is the best part because that's when you get to kind of um, break out of those kind of rehearsed things and get people to ask you questions as well. I like working with kids. You know, I get these emails from these kids all the time and you know, you get to kind of see it with fresh eyes again. And that kind of reinvigorates you like, yeah, I work somewhere really cool, you know? Um, like, mm -hmm. I mean, I know I work somewhere really cool, but it's nice to be reminded, you know, and, and, and to kind of see that engagement. And so it's, it's, uh, it's a weird thing working at a, at a museum. I, I, there's all kinds of aspects of it that I wasn't really prepared for when you, I got into it. Yeah. When I was in the field, I did everything from like artifact selection to, um, yeah. like education programming, which the education programming really was something that I never thought I would get into. But when I did, I'm like, just like you, I'm like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> Yeah. Like these kids are, I remember we had to do, the kids were doing exhibits and I brought in a like original NES game cartridge. <laughs> the kids yeah. had no clue what it was. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, that's not how you play video games. And <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm so old. They have no idea what this is. Yeah. So I'm like, go home and ask your parents and I can tell you, just tell them you saw an NES cartridge and they will be able to tell you what it was. The kids came back the next week. They're like, yeah, my mom and dad had that video game system. And it was just like, so, I don't know. Right. It was it was really cool. Like, just that they did, you well, show, I mean, did you show them how to get it to work, to clean oh, it? I did. To blow on it. Everybody, <laughs> had, everybody has their own technique when they did that just for the record sorry christian i cut you off no that's awesome i i literally i just did that my kid's got a switch and he couldn't get one of the you know they come with these little like sd cards or what the games look like now and he yeah. couldn't get to work and so i blew in it 
and it worked. I was like, yes, it still works. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I showed the kids that. I was like, yeah, if it didn't work, this is what you did. And I like, and I brought in a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game because I thought yes. that was relatable. But then the kids were like, that doesn't look like the Ninja Turtles now. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no, the, the only other point I was going to make about what you said, Mary, was um, that the other thing I have to check myself on a lot is when you're dealing with, when you work in a, a museum on one subject. Mm-hmm. You forget um, what the you end up so in the weeds that you have to remind yourself what people don't know. Yep. Um, the the big one that always strikes me is is um, this is gonna again this is gonna show just how in the weeds we are. Like most people have no idea who William Herndon is. Yep. <laughs> and like that's okay. They shouldn't know who William Herndon is. Like, well, I'm not saying, but you know what I mean. Like, that's not something that most people would ever come into contact with, you know, unless they were real, you know, Lincoln buffs. But like when you work in the Lincoln world, because Herndon is such a key source for Lincoln and in our world too, because so many of our artifacts are somehow related to Lincoln or the stories of like, we talk about Herndon all the time. Yeah. And it's like, you, you have to remind yourself that like, yeah, even most civil war people like don't know that Lincoln's last law partner was William Herndon and that Herndon wrote the first major biography of Abraham Lincoln. Right. And, you know, you just, you, you gotta remember, you know, you gotta keep your perspective of, you know, what your, your average person or even your kind of civil war buff will and won't know about Lincoln when mm-hmm. they walk in the door, when they, they call me for help or something like that. You know, it's, it's, uh, Another one of these aspects, you kind of have to do reality checks every once in a while. Yep, I've, yeah. I've encountered that too in my my time in the museum field as well. Yeah. So basically, the unique thing is that at times, Lincoln is literally just a job. Yeah, right. <laughs> <At> <laughs> it can be you. just a job. Yeah, I guess. Sure. <laughs> uh, any other final thoughts, Christian, you want to leave us with? No, I just, I mean, it's a tough time out there. I hope everyone's taking care of themselves. Uh, I hope uh, if this is, you know, I'm listening to, uh, one of the things that's really shocked me, uh, talking about your world uh, more than mine, is I keep hearing that people are listening to less podcasts because they're not commuting to work. And my experience has been exactly the opposite. I am listening to way more podcasts because I just have more time to do it, or it's it's just a way to like, um, I don't want to say distract myself, but it's just another one of these ways to like contact the outside world, right? That I'll like, I'm just putting on when I'm not working, I'm putting on podcasts a lot, and so uh, if if uh, by contributing to your podcast, I'm helping anyone else do that same thing, uh, that's a that's a good feeling because yeah, it's it's uh, podcasts are just a really great way to. Um, to kind of get your mind thinking about something else and, and to connect with the, you know, there's a world bigger than, than, than your house or your community, which a lot of us aren't really able to get outside of very much right now. No, I agree with you. And thank you for contributing to our podcast. Yes. Thank you. Uh, No, you guys do a great job. I love you guys. And and thanks. I'm, I'm amazed you keep having me back. So thank you. I'm always happy to chat with you guys about Lincoln or whatever else you want to chat about. (laughs) Oh, no, we, we love having you on. You're always so accommodating. Um, and, yeah, we appreciate it. Hopefully the next time we're on, it's it's in person uh, down in yeah. Springfield. Yes. So um, I'm excited to get down to the museum. I got my membership renewal letter, so I got Good. to do that this week. And I'm excited to see some of the new displays you got planned. Um, super psyched for the 
for the the little campaign math breakdown that you yeah. got coming out there. That was that's cool. And the spies exhibit, yeah, come see the spies yeah. exhibit. It's very cool, and and uh, I, we're we were thrilled to get it. So I I'm, I'll be extra thrilled when folks actually get to see it. Yeah. <laughs> Mary, any other final thoughts? Oh, thank you for joining us, Christian. It's been a pleasure as always. And yes, you are real splitter Christian now. <laughs> well, I'm honored, guys. That's a that's a title. I'm not sure I've earned it, but I'm, I'm I'm happy to have it. So thank you. So thank you everybody for listening. We'll be back next week. And remember uh, to uh, I don't even know how we end the show anymore. Keep so. walking the world with malice toward none and with charity for all, and we will see you next week.